This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. You've been listening to the one minute and six second Time Lord, 66 seconds of concentrated commentary, because we're all in a hurry. That's the intro? Yeah. <laughs> Did you watch The Mummy? Yes, I watched God, The Mummy. I hope we're here to review The Mummy. <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> but you never mentioned in that intro that we're going to review The Mummy. So. Ah, <laughs> Wait, we're, well. we're, here, we're here to review The Mummy? What? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I just want to hear what Trev thought of Time Heist because I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll, be one of, that'll be a riddle for the ages, Ian, I'm afraid. <laughs> yes. Welcome one and all to another episode of the Doctor Who Podcast. It's fantastic to be with you again to review the latest episode of Doctor Who that's been on your telly screens, The Mummy. Here with me <laughs> in the very it's, it's scary... It's mummy, mummy on the what? Orient Express. There were many trains to take the name Orient Express, but only one in space. Good morning, everyone. Your goal is to ascertain the foretells to nature. I know exactly what this sounds like. It's immortal, unstoppable, unkillable. Can we get a new expert? Those that bear the foretold stare have 66 seconds to live. Start the clock. No, it's just the mummy, I'm afraid, because I've been getting emails all week while we've been preparing this podcast, and the subject line has just said, mummy. You have no idea how weird it is to get... Are you sure? Are you sure? It, are you inbox. sure it wasn't from your mother? Well, that's 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 the sort of thing. Every time I saw an email plop into my inbox with a, with a subject line "mummy," I thought, "Oh, mum's got in touch." But then I opened it up, and it was people who couldn't work out time zone settings, so they could, you know, turn up at the podcast or you know, letting us know that the review copy was ready to have a look at. It it wasn't from my mum at all. So this episode is called "The Mummy," or for the purists out there, "The Mummy on the Orient Express." How about that? Or was it just Mummy on the Ori Express? No. <laughs> what's, Doctor, what's Doctor Who fandom without a bit of pedantry? That's right. Even though I'm totally wrong, it's still pedantry. But yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We are here to review Mummy on the Orient Express. And, and before I was rudely interrupted by those people who actually have attention to detail. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I have Michelle, Stephen and Ian in the camp of M with me today to, to review the episode. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Start the clock. Start the clock. Tick, 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 tick. Yes, you each have 66 seconds to review Mummy on the Orient Express. And I'm sure every podcast around the world will be using that gag this week at some point. Are you going to kill us? We're going to be the first. We're going to be the first. And we should never try to be any different, ever. (laughs) That's right. But we can be the trailblazers. So 66 seconds, Stephen. Go. Um, I liked it. Uh, I thought that uh, the concept was really great, um, but uh, I feel that the whole thing is just being bogged down and mired down by the whole, is Clara leaving, is Clara not leaving at this point? Um, it's just really sort of starting to ruin the fun for me, actually. Um, I never thought I'd say that, but uh, it is. That's my take. How, how much time? Wow. What's the clock? Where am I at? Where am I at? Wow, I, I I wasn't that much of a shock. You finished that quickly. I didn't actually start. He's probably got about twenty <laughs> seconds. He's probably got about twenty seconds to live at this point. <laughs> Anything you can contribute, oh, good. In your last twenty seconds, <laughs> I'll go watch. Go back and watch something I enjoyed more. There we go. Well, Michelle, you you've got an extra twenty seconds on your review time. So, 
Go. Oh, fantastic. Actually, I really, really like this one. I, I had a, a fun time watching it. Um, good story. I liked the, the kind of self-contained adventure. The doctor got to solve the problem, which is one of the complaints we've had uh, in recent weeks, but he, he definitely was kind of in charge of the story. I enjoyed the uh, the secondary characters. I thought they were wonderful. Uh, I really cared when, when several of them got uh, got their came to their messy ends. I uh, I think the doctor cared too, which which I think was kind of subtly in the performance. I like the doctor better in this one. Um, I won't have enough time to talk about this at this point, but we should come back to the fact that while I adored the doctor in the first five episodes of the series, um, the two two that I didn't get to review on the podcast, the caretaker and uh, and last week's episode, really went off the rails for me uh, in a way in terms of what they were doing with the doctor. So I, I suddenly found myself edging into Trev's camp, which is a scary, scary concept. But I thought they got <laughs> I, I thought they got back on track this week, no pun intended. And uh, I did, I, I'm a little bit with Stephen. I'm not entirely fond of what they're doing with the doctor and Clara. And my least favorite part of the episode was the last few minutes of the episode, which we can also talk about later. Mm. Okay, Ian, your turn. Go. I'm more or less with Stephen. I thought the primary plot, the the, the foretold and the, the mummy and all this stuff was great. Really, really good idea. Really well executed. Loved all the performances. Loved the setup. Great, solid, strong story. But it was bogged down once again by the whole Clara thing. And I was really disappointed because after the cliffhanger we got at the end of last week's episode, and I said on the podcast last week, great, we're finally going to resolve this. It's going to go one way or the other. But instead, we just wandered straight back into it. It was completely devalued last week's cliffhanger. And I thought, while the opening was strong, it was totally bogged down every time they wandered back into the you know teenage romance, will she or won't she thing. Uh, as soon as they forgot that, the story was great and it rolled along. Then back at the end of the story, you know it comes back again and we have more hand wringing and more back and forth. And it's like I just, I just wish it would go away. As Stephen, it's a distraction. It, it's bogging the stories down and it's a shame because it was such a strong story I, th- I thought that the foretold was just such a fabulous creature and the concept of ah, ah! <laughs> that must have been 66 seconds rest in peace Dean <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> now if he'd given me 66 seconds which you did you know we it's all solved just take 66 seconds with me that's all it takes <laughs> That was scary. <laughs> I didn't know what the heck was going on okay, there for Trev. a minute. Oh, Trev. Trev, you have 66 seconds. Now this is going to be good. I'm I'm not sure where I can go from that, really. Um, now, now that Ian isn't with us. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure what to make of this, to be perfectly honest. Listening to Stephen, I'm, I'm probably more with you, Stephen. We're, we're getting a very crowded camp here at the moment by the looks of it. Um I'm I'm not a fan at all of this nonsense with with Clara and the Doctor, and same as you, Michelle. Those last few minutes just absolutely befuddled me. I mean, m- maybe I'm just an old and cranky old guy, and I don't understand modern relationships. But I didn't understand what was going on the end there at all with the Clara Doctor Danny Pink thing, and how it suddenly all became you know you know flowers and roses and and buttercups and everything was a happy ending. I didn't like the total flip of Clara from the previous episode. At the end of the last episode, she was angry as all hell. You know, she wasn't going to take this anymore. Um, Then suddenly at the beginning of this, it was, oh, 
let, let's not worry about that. Let, let's not really even try to explain it. Let's just go, oh, that was just there for that, you know, the sake of that story. Uh, let, let's just ignore it and move on because maybe we made a big mistake. So I didn't like that at all. I, I don't mind that sort of element being in the show to a certain extent, but I would like them to deal with it a little bit more intelligently rather than just dismissing it. Um, the story itself, I'm, I'm with Ian. Are you still with us, Ian, or have you recovered sufficiently? I've come back from the dead. Thank goodness. It's well, he, maybe maybe he found one of those life extenders. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, that was confusing too. Um, I thought the premise was a, was really good. I'm I'm with you there, Ian. But I I was actually bored by this to a certain extent. I think it's really really flatly directed. Um, they've until the hologram got turned off. Um, I, I was quite bored by the whole thing. You know, the, the, there was nothing really interesting about the performances of the secondary cast. Um, and I, I, I just was quite bored until they got to the main part of the story. And looking at it, it's a first-time writer and it's a first-time director to Doctor Who. And also the director is returning at Christmas to do the Christmas special. So maybe I can give him a bit of slack. Maybe they're you know, because they're not seasoned veterans of Doctor Who, that they have brought a different take to it. I'm not sure it particularly works. It it was just really, really flatly shot and flatly directed and, you know, there wasn't a lot of spark in there for me. I mean, all all, all in all, I'm I'm sick of the Clara Doctor stuff. Um I'm I'm tired of the Danny Pink Clara Doctor Who stuff. The the story had some great ideas, but it didn't engage me. It wasn't exciting to watch, and I think a story like this really needs to be exciting to watch. I completely agree that um, it made no sense for them to be doing this last hurrah, as they called it, after the extreme falling out at the end of Kill the Moon, when Clara was shouting at him and furious, and I never want to see you again. And then she's going out for dinner with him on the Orient Express, and... It doesn't make sense for the Doctor because we all know the Doctor doesn't like to do goodbyes and the idea of him doing a last horror in the first place doesn't make a lot of sense. On what earth would she do that? I think it totally undermines the previous week. I mean, I suppose to a certain degree it's a very moffety thing to do. You, you build something up and then you, you, you vanish it away in a sentence and it doesn't actually mean what you thought it was going to mean. But I find it very unsatisfying. Uh, see, I, I'm, not, I'm not bothered so much about it. It's, a, it's that, uh, trying to put this delicately, it's that last hookup before in the middle of a breakup um, is what it felt sort of like to me. Um, and it felt a little bit like the doctor in a way trying to convince Clara to stay. Um, you know, he hoped that there would be some adventure there. He hoped that's, that, that, that they would run into something because I think that he is, cause he doesn't quite understand. It, it seems that he doesn't quite understand what her problem is. Um, and I think that that's the big problem is because the rest of us don't understand what her problem is at this point. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. You know, um, exactly. And, and the turnaround at the end, Trev, I, I agree. Was, I, I did not know what was happening there. I didn't understand what was happening there. It was it, she she just sort of changed her mind, lied about what Danny said when she told Danny that that she loved him over the phone. And then and the camera went to the doctor. And, and that was really weird to me as well. Like, why do we why are we looking at the doctor's reaction to her telling Danny that she loves him? You know, I mean, I'm over the whole he's, he's got problems with him being a soldier. Okay, we get it, you know, but he just had a big experience with a soldier. And that's how he solved it. So so he's still dealing with this thing, you know? Yeah, I I think too with that, I think the reason they went to the Doctor, when they cut to the Doctor at the console, I really expected to get a scowl out of him, a sort of a, oh, you know, why is she doing that type of thing? But there, 
was a look of acceptance on the doctor's face. I kind of got that. I kind of got the fact that, you know, um, Clara's finally made a public declaration in front of the doctor about Danny and that look the doctor gave wasn't one of, oh, my goodness, you know, why is he dating, sorry, why is she dating a PE teacher? It was more of an acceptance that maybe I've got to start dealing with this and I'm just going to be quiet and not say anything. So his manner and behaviour is changing and that all culminated with that incredibly forced smile at the end of the episode. I mean, I don't know why that's there, by the way. He he does seem to be softening a little bit. Clara seems to be changing him for the better. I think that's what they're trying to get. But then, I, I think, yeah. Clara, Clara, but then Clara lied to Danny Pink. I mean, I, I, I just thought... I thought it was horrible. I, I mean, I do agree. Her, her sudden turnaround doesn't doesn't make sense to me, given all the drama that we had in the last couple episodes. But, you know, she's and I think the reason she went with him on this to answer somebody's question um, when at the end of the last episode, when she was furious, Danny said, I'm not going to believe it until you break up with him when you're calm. I mean, those aren't the exact words, but he basically said, if you're still angry, if he can still make you this angry, you're still connected to him. Uh, it won't be you won't really be leaving him until you can say that when you're calm. And I think what happened is, you know, several weeks went by that they alluded to. I think at when she was calm and thought she could she could say goodbye to him, she calls him, sets up this trip, one last hurrah. I think it was probably her idea. She probably called him on the TARDIS phone. Uh, and they do this, all of which can make sense to me until until you get to the end and she completely flip-flops. But she's just told Danny, you know, he, he says, is it kind of, is it taken care of? And, and she says, Yes, it is. And I think she had just told Danny that that her time with the doctor was over. That's what I think she just said. Um, And then she turns around. I think she was just completely lying to him there. And it really bothers me. This is seems like every time we get a female companion in the TARDIS who has a boyfriend, they treat the boyfriends terribly. I mean, Rose was horrible to Mickey when when she took off with the doctor. Uh, Amy in the first, you know, first several stories that involved her, her her story arc with Rory was horrible to Rory. Uh, and, and we're in the same thing here. We've got Clara, who's not who has never been telling the full truth to Danny. And and you think she's finally going to make that resolution and, and be true to the person that she really needs to be true to. And I, I just thought it was a terrible, terrible resolution. And as you say, we're kind of stuck right back where we were, except yeah, I think maybe the doctor has, has has softened a little bit. One of the things that really drives me nuts is that I really was enjoying the dynamic in the first few stories. And I know, Trev, that you, you didn't. The doctor was, was too harsh for you. But uh, up through Time Heist, I, I was, it was okay. It was, on, it was on the right side of the line for me. And I thought Clara was beginning to give as good as she got. You know, they were, they were snarky to each other. And, and, and I, I was real. They had a brilliant actor playing the doctor, the, the companion doctor dynamic was working for me. And all of that changed with the caretaker, at which point I thought the doctor became a bully. I mean, if this is a character that's supposed to be never cruel or cowardly, in the caretaker, he crossed the line definitively for me into being cruel. My son and I watched that story together, and were, were we did not enjoy it at all. We saw bullying happening on a school ground, and, and that's a serious topic, over here at least, and that's a serious topic when you're 
10 going on 11 like my son is. And and it was a very uncomfortable viewing session to watch the caretaker. That's when she should have blown up at him. She should have, the way he was treating Danny, regardless of whether he's her boyfriend or not, was absolutely un- unacceptable. And she should have she should have blown up then and defended it. But no, we go on to, to why am I not remembering last week's story name? What's the name of last week's story? <laughs> oh, um... Well, it's the egg, the egg moon one. Kill the moon, <laughs> but <laughs> so we won't go. But, but again, then you know when she blew up up at him at the end of that one, I didn't think what he had done was as bad <laughs> as what he'd done the week before in the caretaker. But again, just a strain. I felt like they'd taken a, a recipe that was really working, at least for me, and then they and then they went off track. They they did this thing, and we're still kind of hung up in it. But having said that, I still really really loved the main storyline. Uh, on mummy on the it Orient just seems Express. to me that they're focusing too much on on uh, on Clara and whether she's leaving or whether she's staying and and everything everything is sort of surrounding that and and it's frustrating because I agree I think that the through the first half of the season you had um you know it, it, it just right at deep breath where he asks her you know will you help me you you see, you see this vulnerable side to this this new doctor who is who doesn't didn't seem to have a vulnerable side before we haven't really seen that again and um and there's bits in listen where where clara is definitely in charge and um and i think that's kind of what i enjoyed about listen the most was just their relationship um the way it was playing out on screen when she's like you you know he's like i used to have a teacher who talked to me like that she's like you still do you know i loved that that was great you know that's the kind of banter that I expect between the doctor and a companion and it's very much sort of weighed down right now with the fact that you know Clara has this double life and and now they're like even even terming it as an addiction to the doctor basically is the way that they sort of laid it out in this uh, in this story um you know they came out and, and said it uh, you know are you addicted to the adventure and um it's a little too much at this point it, it just you know and and we've got a new doctor that I wanted to spend the series getting to know you know i wanted to spend the series getting to know this new doctor and his new personality and um it seems that the second half of this this season i'm i'm getting less and less of that because we're dealing with all of this other stuff that really shouldn't that shouldn't be part of uh of the first series of any new doctor i think it's unfair to peter capaldi you know i think he's get he's he's getting some great stuff to work with but it's it's unfair to him to, to, to be so concerned with, with you know, Clara and her relationship. And there, there's still no confirmation whether she's staying or going. And, and, and that's and he, and, and Cap- frustrating. Capaldi, you know? as an actor, has that range of stuff. You talked about the vulnerability. And I think we saw glimpses of that in, in the early parts of this episode. I mean, there were some times when Trev was bored that I was actually really enjoying some of the lingering shots, some of the slowness, some of the tenderness that I saw happening, like on that speech where where she Clara's trying to tell him um, how she feels and he wants to tell her about the planets. And there was just a real kind of a, a bittersweetness to that, that that I did love. And Capaldi can play those moments. And uh, I'd like to see the whole range, and but but in the context of getting to have adventures like this one with the mummy, which I think some of the moments with the the side characters, which perhaps didn't go anywhere, the feeling I got was that that was actually deliberate and was almost a call out to the sort of the Agatha Christie overtones that the Orient Express gives as being misdirection. And I thought the best example was Frank Skinner, where his character there was a, a strange 
air about the character he played and this sort of slightly disconnected air from the rest of the cast and the rest of the of the show. And he was an interesting character, but he was almost a narrator at times. It's almost as if, you know, he wasn't, you know, part of the, the rest of the story. And for a lot of the story, I kept thinking he's going to turn out to have been the guy behind all this. And he was in there observing them. And, and that was his pure misdirection. And I thought it was actually very well seeded. And I think some of the other characters who you saw these odd little things and they start down a little rabbit hole with them and then it goes nowhere. To my mind, that was actually misdirection and it was playing the whole whodunit theme as to, as to what's going on in this. I mean, I, I never really treated this like a mystery story because for me, we knew exactly what was going on, like who was doing the murders from the pre-credit sequence onwards. Um, so to me, I, I didn't really treat this like a mystery story because of that. Um, I, I never really got the impression that there was someone else controlling the mummy in the background. From the beginning, it was set up as a very spectral figure, you know, this almost other, well, definitely otherworldly type um, mystical creature. To, to me, it, it was never a mystery. It was always just that this guy... Or, or this mummy creature was killing people and they had to figure out why. Well, the mystery was who it was that set them and all the previous trains going with the mummy to learn about its nature. And we still don't know. And in fact, I wonder if that's going to come back in, in a future stories. We never found out who it was that locked them all on the train in the first place. And was it Gus or something, the voice that was done by John Sessions? Gus, yeah. I, 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 think, Gus is going to, I think Gus is going to be connected to Missy and to... Uh wherever it is that that, that, that that's dwelling. Um, it, he was looking for the technology that the mummy was using, and didn't that technology include some sort of life extender thing? I mean, obviously there was a teleport, but a life extender, and I wonder if that somehow ties into whatever they're doing with these people that are dying and going to uh, Missy's world. Did we get a name? The guy that welcomed the police officer in uh, at the end of The Caretaker, did we ever get a name for that character? Could that be Gus? Name is His name is Seb. Actually, uh, the uh, Chris um, Chris Addison's character's name is Seb. Yeah, that's what it was in the credits. Um, uh, um, what I want to say did 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 Gus sound like Simon Jones, the voice of the book, to anyone else other than me? No. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm glad to, I'm glad that Ian brought up Frank Skinner because um, you know um, since he's Trev's new best friend, we we should talk about him for a minute. Um, he was fantastic. Yeah, I thought I thought Frank was really great actually, um, and um, and I thought that the you know the doctor asking him basically asking him to travel with him at the end um, was very natural and made a lot of sense uh, uh, considering how helpful he was throughout the whole situation. Um, I mean, he basically was the companion for most of the story. Frank Skinner must have been just uh, ecstatic at at being able to play that part and being able to get you know be on the TARDIS set and have the Doctor ask him to join him and everything and uh, you know bravo to a fan for getting to accomplish all that uh, and doing it really really well. So yeah, I agree. I mean, I love that character. I, I liked I liked most of the secondary characters, but uh, I <laughs> had the exact same thoughts and and to ask him. In front of Clara, of course, you didn't see that until the camera the camera panned back. But you know, here's the doctor <laughs> actively trying to replace Clara when she's still there. Um, that was an interesting dynamic. Well, maybe not trying to replace her, but just trying to get someone to go with him. You know, I mean, yeah. 
the doctor likes to have someone along. Yeah, but the assumption was Clara was leaving. What was interesting about Frank's character is is it wasn't subservient to the doctor and he wasn't being overawed by the doctor, which is what you expect those characters, particularly the sort of the incidental characters who come and go each week, to be. He was actually, for an awful lot of the story, you know, back and forth and holding his own and had, had his own take on things, and which was. Again, that, that's where I got some of that sort of slightly almost otherworldly air. There was almost a, a, like a doctorish aspect to how he was playing it, which is uh, which made me think there's more to this than, than we're seeing. And who knows, maybe he'll be back later in the series and there was more to it. Yeah, certainly a possibility. Or maybe just a red herring. So, so Trev, earlier you, you, you were talking about the doctorish moments. I, I have to say that, and like you, as you know, I've had my problems with the Capaldi uh, personality we've seen. I thought when he was really in the zone in this episode and was, you know, and particularly when his clock started, that was 66 seconds of absolute brilliance from Capaldi. And the way he was throwing the ideas back and forth and even threw in the are you my mummy joke, which was so corny but so perfect. And and then the way they ratcheted the tension up and then right on the second, bang, gave the answer and solved it. That was a wonderful moment of doc- of doctorish behaviour. And actually, I didn't get the feel that he was being callous over the people dying. I got the feeling that he knew they were going to die anyway and he was going to try and make the most of it to minimise how many of them were dying. But he was just being realistic and pragmatic about the situation he was in. I actually got a slight air of the third Doctor, actually, in terms of the intensity and the focus of, you know, I I will solve this problem, whatever it takes. That's maybe just my mind. But uh, I thought that whole thing was a tour de force with Capaldi, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I I mean, he was taking advantage of a situation that he couldn't directly effect i mean those people were going to die whether he was there at all trying to solve the problem and and he was making the best of a situation but i think what makes the capaldi doctor interesting is that he stands there and tells everyone that you know <laughs> i'm just going to let you die type of thing whereas other doctors i don't know they're a little bit more stoic about it you know they don't stand there and say you're next you're next you're next oh and then you and then you with the hat you'll be after that um it, it's it's a difference the capaldi doctor has all all the doctors have the same thing that they're trying to solve the problem, but... I don't know. D- David Tennant would have been, I'm so sorry. Well, like setting up a roll call of people who are going to die, that, that, that's very Capaldi. And, and, and it does border on callousness, not because it's different to what, say, the Fourth Doctor or the Fifth Doctor would do or even, you know, the Ninth Doctor, but that he actually mentions it and, you know, has, has to just rub it into the people's faces that are standing there um, saying, well, hey, you're, you're dead. Yeah, I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say he rubbed it in. I think I think it's more matter of fact, and it's almost like he doesn't have time for the empathy. But I actually think there were some moments here where, where he showed empathy. I mean, and, and it's subtle, which is one of the fascinating things about this doctor. Is you have to look close. But like when he was talking with Clara, and and Gus sent the 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 service staff out into the void, uh, and and the doctor was horrified. I mean, you can see it in his eyes, and he immediately says, "Clara, I have to get off the line." And I mean, that was a death that he had some impact on I mean in a way it was his fault although he didn't know Gus was going to do that but he I think he showed you know a little bit at least of horror uh, if not remorse at that moment same thing even even though he was egging on the people you know in their last 66 seconds to get as much information out of him as he could when the one guy said hey this is my death and I'm gonna or this is my life and I'm gonna you know do do with my last 20 seconds what I want. The doctor shut up at that point. And the, the next guy to die, he was the guy that had the, the post-traumatic stress syndrome, I think. You know, he had watched the person before him die. He knew it was coming. And he did have the chance to kind of give himself some dignity in the end by how he handled it. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there was... 
it, it was okay for me. It, on whatever that line it is between being <laughs> kind of rude and abrupt and actually cruel, it didn't cross the line in this one for me. It, it was okay. Doctor was doing what he had to. And indeed, when he brought the when he brought the woman up, when he got Clara to bring the woman up, his his primary intention was to make it so that he himself would be the next vic- next victim because he knew as soon as he had his shot at the mummy he had a better shot than anyone else of saving it and saving everybody else's lives i mean he was still putting himself there right in the line of fire to do what it took to save as many people as he could even though he doesn't do it in the most sympathetic way yeah he he would have had a better chance to survive really i mean it's like that old joke that i used to say when i was a kid um what goes arg thump 12 times it's the doctor being shot. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same sort of thing here too. I mean, you know, presumably he, <laughs> he could do this, you know, another 12 times now. You know, you know, if he didn't get it done in the first 66 seconds, he might have another crack in the next 66 seconds with his next body. No, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. You're spot on, Trev. I, and I think that that's what, he's, what he was insinuating. He's like, oh, let, let him have 60 seconds with me. It's going to be, you know, he knew, he knew that he mm, had a better chance mm. of, of, of figuring it out. You know? and, and then they made that joke last week in um, Kill the Moon when he was saying, you know, keep yeah. shooting me, it's going to take a while, which was a wonderful moment as well. Very fourth Doctor, I thought. Mm. What What did we think of the whole resolution of the story too? You know, how, how we ended up that it was a some sort of soldier that was integrated with some sort of malfunctioning technology and then then by extension using that technology to somehow auto-magically transport everyone to the TARDIS so everyone was safe. I, I, that, that seemed a little bit rushed at the end, you know, with him tinkering with what looked to me like some sort of water bottle canteen, which I thought it was, but it, no, it, it's, it's actually a teleport device, which then somehow magically got fused with this guy and also he got wrapped up in mummy clothes I mean, why is a soldier wearing mummy's robes? That's 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 what I want to know. I I think the uh, what they were saying was that that soldier had been kept alive for so long by this device, abnormally long, that he had. I mean, he had he had rotted away into that. That was all that was left of this poor guy because of this malfunctioning device. I actually, what I liked about it is that the resolution was seeded from the beginning because we kept hearing that in the mythology of of this creature, some people say there are some words or you, if you say the right thing, it won't kill you. And indeed, that was ultimately the resolution. The doctor had to figure out he was a soldier and say, we surrender. And that, that, that was the key. So I liked that part of it. The fact that that he had become what he was because of this technology that had been installed at him and had, had, had kind of malfunctioned. I, you know, I, I was okay with it. For for me, that that kind of resolution borders on magic a little bit, um, and and that's something I'm not really comfortable with Doctor Who doing very often, um, especially when once the mummy was destroyed, we end up with a bit of malfunctioning technology as the reason. But to have the way to stop them by uttering some magic incantation, that is definitely magic and. Magic and Doctor Who don't really mix for me. <laughs> but, but you liked the dragonfly thing coming out of the moon. <laughs> well, it wasn't a magic incantation. He, he, yeah. he was ending the Yeah, but the I mean, why does a malfunctioning teleport device need the words, we surrender, to stop it working? Because the, that, the, that's because... magic. But it, but it didn't. It, it was the soldier. The soldier was carrying on fighting the war because the, all the equipment and the armour and all the technology they'd put into this soldier to make him a highly effective soldier kept him fighting and the war had never ended. It's like one of these stories you hear of a Japanese soldier that's been on an island and still thinks World War Two is running, you know, 40 years later. It's that concept. And then when the doctor surrendered to him, the programming suddenly said, ah, oh, war's over, click, and, and released him. That, 
the... It wasn't magic. There was, there was actually a rational explanation given for it. Of this sort of like body armor that the soldier was wearing, it was a whole combat suit that was giving him camouflage and keeping him alive and healing his wounds and this kind of stuff. It and was and forcing him in the way you know we, we've seen Daleks have sort of programming that forces him to to be a certain way and other characters have as well. He was forced to be this soldier and he didn't want to. He wanted to end it, which is why he saluted the Doctor just before he died at the end. So the Doctor released him from his purgatory. I, I'm with you, Trev. Uh, I I, <laughs> I I usually don't don't want all of the all of the questions answered at the end I, I like filling in the blanks a bit but it did feel rushed it, it almost felt like they were a little bit written into a corner uh and needed to figure out uh, how to get out because i didn't make any connection that the teleportation device that was inside him is what was causing him to keep killing people i i didn't make any of that connection when i watched it uh i thought that that was something completely separate it was just it was a little bit confuddled and granted part of it is again me trying to follow what capaldi's saying especially when he starts talking fast and he starts mumbling even more but um it, it did st- it just the resolution happened a little bit too quickly and then to not get any sort of um closure on who actually was behind setting all of that up i mean that's sort of typical moffat um you know he, he'll probably use it again later on but it was a little bit yeah, a little bit, meh, I'm not sure. I, I think it suffered a little bit of the sort of Lord of the Rings syndrome of having three endings. So there was for the resolution to the mummy. And I actually, I enjoyed that. I got that. It made sense to me. It was a bit of a rehash of the, you know, the Curse of the Black Spot with a medical program that's gone wrong. And there's been other stories over the last couple of years where it's been some bit of technology that's just gone a bit astray. But I, I was fine with that. It worked and was actually quite a neat, logical explanation for me then ending two was the the train blowing up and escaping and i I lost that a little bit i didn't quite get the thread of how they ended up on the beach and and that stuff and then we had ending three with the whole clara mess and actually i thought the earlier ones were a bit rushed because they were making space for all that clara guff at the end and if we got rid of that we could have had a, 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 a bit more space to breathe on the main story which was the best part of it Well, we've certainly gone on and on for a while on this, but uh, I think I'd like to hear some of the opinions of some of the folks who couldn't quite make the recording session today. We might just have something from Leeson. What do you think are the odds of him getting his opinion in in 66 seconds? Hello, Leeson Fisher here, broadcasting from outside the camper van once again. Now, I should say from the outset uh, of this pre-record that uh, the chances of me being able to review this uh, within the expected 66 seconds uh, are very slim. Now, I did toy with the idea of doing it in 66 words, but I'm 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 already over that. So I'm just going to go over some salient points rather than making this a blow-by-blow account of uh, of why I thought this story was very good. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I like the 20s setting. I like the 1920s Agatha Christie feel. It's something I've always loved. Uh, I've always loved uh, Agatha Christie. Uh, I, I, I used to steal my mum's Agatha Christie books uh, and, and read them and hide them secretly under my pillow uh, in, in uh, like you do with uh, with adult material. Uh, so so the, the 20s has always had a, a very special feel for me, and I thought this this encapsulated it very well, even though you know it had the Doctor Who twist. It had the Doctor Who twist that the Orient Express was not careering through Europe. It, who was careering through space. Um, so I think it worked in many ways better than the actual Gareth Roberts uh, unicorn and uh, and the, the bumblebee, uh, where it was meant to be a, a pastiche. This worked a lot better. Uh, and it worked in many ways uh, on the same levels as, as Agatha Christie's novels 
in that you had uh, uh, red herrings, you had uh, the the characters were all interesting enough, and and I cared about them all enough when they came to their to their demises uh, at the hands of the mummy slash um, strange soldier man. Um, so, so so that that worked for me, and and as far as red herrings uh, are concerned, the prime red herring for me was was Frank Skinner's character, and all kudos to Mr. Skinner, friend of the show, uh, for his his performance, which you know. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's no secret. Prior prior to to uh, the the broadcast, people were a little bit suspicious that this was a bit like nineteen eighties, late nineteen eighties stunt casting. That uh, you know he, he had you no know, form as an actor, uh, no no real form as an actor to speak of. So you know this is you know what, what's the point in having him there? You know. His actual performance that, that he turned out was 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 marvelous uh, because in terms of the the red herring, um, he, he really believed that that that, that he well, I mean, he'd obviously he was aware of of stuff that was going on and he'd been working on it, but he had this kind of darkness, this kind of um, uh, mysterious quality to, to to the way that he played it uh, that that genuinely made me think. I mean, points throughout the portrayal, we were meant to believe that that he was perhaps Gus, that that he was the he was the guy orchestrating it all, um, and it was a wonderful wonderful little. Such, and and the fact that that the doctor then at the end decided uh, that he would like this guy to 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 travel with him um, was entirely believable. Uh, it must have been wonderful for uh, for Frank himself uh, being a fan of Doctor Who uh, as well as Doctor Who podcasts. The Doctor himself in this episode continued to be absolutely marvellous for me. Um, I mean, he, he, he solved the mystery this time, which I know some people had, had a bit of a problem with, with him not doing uh, in previous episodes in this series. Uh, but he, he was in, in complete command of the situation. Uh, he was very Machiavellian, very Seventh Doctor-like, in that it transpired towards the end of the episode that, you know, that, that he'd gone there all along knowing that this mystery was there that it was going to be that it wasn't going to be the last hurrah as in a last jolly because I mean does the doctor ever really have just a just a jolly old time we often hear about them in um, throwaway remarks you know visiting um <laughs> visiting seas made of tears and uh, I, I, but I don't think it <laughs> I don't we never see those adventures well good because they're not adventures it's just them sitting about it's just the sixth doctor fishing isn't it I suppose so um it's, so it was never meant to be the doctor's idea of a last hurrah is is a last um desperate fight against against an alien menace uh, and and that's exactly what this was it was an excellent excellent romp the doctor was absolutely Capaldi was as he has been all, all the way through, absolutely the doctor for me, uh, in command of the situation, uh, mysterious. Um, and what this doctor does, and this is an important point in this episode, and, is, and has happened throughout series eight, is it's the way that this doctor makes his decisions. He's aware that he's got to make these difficult decisions, and he doesn't waste any time, like perhaps the tenth doctor would have done, apologising and, and ruminating and uh, and hand wringing about decisions. He can make these decisions in a flash. He, he makes them in a flash, and he, he almost, he almost. I mean, he definitely doesn't care how these quick decisions. He's thought ten moves ahead. He, he's, he's, a, he's a chess pro. He, he's, he's, a, he's a grand master at chess. He has thought these the, all the possible outcomes through in 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 the blink of an eye, uh, and he's made his decision. And he hasn't got time to stop and and 
dis- and explain to you, the viewer, or the people around him, why he's come to this decision. But he knows that the uh, the outcome will um, <laughs> the the outcome will will offset the harshness of the uh, of the dis- uh, of the way that he's behaved in in the in the heat of the moment. And that's what's that that's this doctor's USP. That. He's not going to stop and explain to you. He's going to save your life, uh, and he doesn't want your approval. And I, and I, I, I like that. I like I like that as as this new doctor's USP. Uh, he he doesn't crave um, approval from from those around him, whilst at the same time still at a great personal cost, uh, as the doctor always does, um, saving the day. Uh, and a great personal cost. He, he he put himself in the firing line. He knew that when he put himself in the firing line of the mummy, that um, that he, he was the best person to try and solve it. And you know the manner in which he moves those chess pieces into position so that he can be the person uh, that the mummy is coming for. You know, seems a bit harsh at the time, but you know, in retrospect, given the the gift of hindsight, we see that it was a wise decision. Um, this is the, this is a wise wise doctor who who doesn't care how he is perceived by others, and I, and I like that. And that's uh, that's the mystery of the 12th Doctor for me. I'm loving it. Um, did feel a little bit odd, I have to say, that we had the big break-up at the end of, um, uh, the, end of the last episode, and then suddenly we were just straight into that wrong-footed movie, we were straight into an adventure, and, and Clara was there, and hang on, and it wasn't mentioned for a few minutes, but, there, but then it was mentioned, and it was sort of talked about, and, uh, and it did seem to me a bit like I know I keep banging on about relationships and and tying it into relationships but but it the, Clara and the doctor what they have is a relationship but uh, it seemed a bit to me like you know when you when you break up with someone uh and then you have that last hurrah that you you have that oh maybe we can get back together and um and you have that that one night stand that that, that one last dinner uh, but um, you know, often in real life it doesn't work. But in this, the ending—the ending was very interesting. Uh, uh, Clara seems to—we've all been talking. I've been talking about, and a lot of focus has been put upon um, how Clara will change this this spiky doctor, the, the doctor that has this this uh, unlikable personality. But I think I think we've been we've been thrown a curveball here. What we're, what we're seeing is that you know undoubtedly the the 12th doctor is being softened a little bit and he's being made to think a little bit differently about how he behaves um you know through clara but i think clara has come to understand a little bit of the doc- the doctor's spikiness and the way that he makes decisions and his subterfuge and and his lying and uh, and she has begun to pick a bit of that up and i think that's what we saw I think that's what I saw. That's my interpretation of what we saw. The phone call with Danny at the end. Um, she gave a very public, uh, audible display of love for Danny in front of the doctor, which was a very big thing. And Capaldi played that beautifully with a look, with a look which just it was it it was. And I've said this before. It was the dad. It was the dad who who didn't like his daughter's choice of boyfriend, but has resigned to the fact that she has made her decision but the way the way that, that clara lied or seemed to lie to to, to danny uh, because he he'd asked is it done or you know, i'm paraphrasing is 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 the job done uh, she said yes she hung up and then she completely did a switcheroo 
so it's interesting. I think we we expected Clara to to change the Doctor solely, but I think the Doctor is changing Clara. Very interesting. Very good episode. Um, the the quality is still up and up. Looking forward to next week's episode. <laughs> the most exciting bit of this story for me. Guys, I can't believe that I've forgotten the best bit about this entire story. When he says, are you my mummy? No, no, even better than that. (laughs) This story gets a pass for me. Are you okay? It could be the worst story in the world, but it gets a pass because they used a Queen song Uh. at the beginning of it in the dining car. Absolutely brilliant. A fantastic sort of lo-fi 1920s 30s version of Don't Stop Me Now it was absolutely fantastic and I nearly felt I enjoyed that a lot as well I tell you so is that the song that Foxes is singing yeah it was really really good was that supposed to be someone making a historical mistake like when they had the jukebox way back in uh, end of uh, the world um with the, the, the Britney Spears song that they thought was classical music. I, I thought that was this as well, that they, they were mixing up their genres. But I agree, it was a, a, a lovely performance. Perhaps, 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 because around that time the, the doctor was talking about historical accuracy and then that guy with the eyepiece bumped straight past him and he went, uh, you, know, you know, they get it right most of the time. So I think that might have been it. It might have been a weird mixture of time periods. But it really worked well because it wasn't just like the song from the band themselves just, just played. It, it, it was a, like a nice sort of slow, moody, you know, sort of dinner party type version. It was really, really good. I loved it. Yeah, and wasn't obnoxious either the way some of those pop songs in the earlier episodes could be. This oh, It was also, well. it, it, it was just there nicely. You could enjoy it, but it didn't sort of leap up Queen. and down and jump in your face. It's Queen. It's class. I mean, it's not like <laughs> Brit- it's not like Britney Spears. I mean, Queen is just is just pure class. Uh, uh, well, now we know what it there takes. Trev has spoken. Take that, take that, Moffat. <laughs> if if every episode has a David Bowie song in it or has a Queen song, then it gets an instant pass. If you're listening, Moffat, that's what that that's what it takes. <laughs> that's why I like Waters of Mars so much because the bass is named after David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the Jelly Baby cigarette holder. <laughs> Oh, yes. Coming soon to a con near you. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm sure BBC Enterprises are already starting to mass-produce them now, you know, ready for the next convention. Was quite nice, though. But, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't sure whether it was just cheesy or whether it was, you know, a a nice little touch or not. Well, what I liked about it is I was getting worried about why the doctor had a cigarette holder in the first place. I mean, they really... he, He... took forever to pull it out of his pocket and to, to offer it across the table and open it up. And I was actually in the back of my mind while trying to pay attention to the scene going, why does the doctor have a cigarette holder? How is this going to play out? So when he opened it up, I, I thought, okay, joke's on you, mm. Michelle, that works. I, I know cheesier than the original bag of Jelly Babies, so <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, they really, did play, they really did play that out to, to, to mess with you for a little bit. That was, it was well done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think we've reached the end of another Doctor Who podcast, unless you guys have anything more to say about The Mummy on the Orient Express. No? We surrender. We surrender. Our 66 (laughs) 66 seconds is up. It's time for us to vacate the camper van before 
we're all killed. So, yes, until <laughs> next week, goodbye, James. Oh, goodbye, James. James isn't even here, and I'm saying goodbye to him. <laughs> bye, James, wherever you are. Um, bye, Michelle. Goodbye. Bye, Stephen. Bye, Trev. And bye, Ian. Goodbye, everybody. And bye, Trevor. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Podcast, brought to you this week in a slightly longer than 66-second format by Ian, Michelle, Trevor and Stephen. You can check out more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com all guaranteed to be longer than one minute and six seconds. That's a promise. Or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who podcast forums and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later.